Welcome everyone to the Chobi Mela podcast series. This year we have a special edition as we are in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, for this episode, we have two guests, Akin Bode Akin B and Natasha Jinwala. Akin Bode Akin B is a Berlin-based Nigerian photographer, writer, curator and educator. Akin Bode captured intimate scenes and communal life in mega cities such as Lagos, Berlin, Johannesburg, Bamako and Chicago and many other locations. Natasha Jinwala is the associate curator at Martin Gropius Bau and the artistic director of Guangzhou Biennale 2020 with Definias. Natasha is also directing Columbus Scope Festival in Sri Lanka. In 2020, Natasha curated Akin Bodhi's solo show at Gropius Bau titled Six Songs Soiling Gracefully in the Tortoise. What a beautiful name. Over to you Natasha and Akin Bodhi. Thanks so much um Wasif and the entire Chobi Mela team for inviting us uh prompting us to launch into a dialogue that in many ways has been a continuing one since um since we started to engage and work together closely so um for us I think it's very special to connect with South Asian audiences in particular in this way uh to make the dialogue felt and embodied with a new spirit. I fully agree. I too want to say thank you very much to Wasif and also of course to you Natasha as well. Really wonderful to engage with you again. I was also thinking Bode about um our uh, exhibition title. It's been almost um a year now since we opened six songs uh, swirling gracefully in the taut air and as I reflect on that title um i feel there is the question of rhythm of place of time and of atmosphere in that very title um and there is also a sense of uh, a poetical substance in that very title uh and i wonder where you are at in terms of you know thinking with poetry at this moment uh and how you revisit that phrase that you actually coined which is very much the thinking of a poet uh natasha is very interesting yesterday i went out again on one of my this time quite short wanderings because it was quite cold and i went specifically to photograph a photo booth in kreuzberg here in berlin which has now been boarded up with um some kind of um um whole um wooden um um uh, what do you call it um wooden platform so um and then uh, all the time I'm constantly trying to rework images rework the way I work and thinking about so many different things also as you said these poetical um moments or phrases or something it took me quite some time to get the title for the retrospective um show last year thought about it very carefully and then um i tried to be as open as possible and let the um the the po- the um the poetic moments come just as like yesterday trying to um meander wander and let the images come to one so already before even leaving the apartment here um i saw something out on the street i live at a crossroads and when i got closer it wasn't the image i thought i could see from my window but then i continued went to the uh, photo booth and there the images were definitely there i might even return today because today we have a bit of sunshine so it's a constant movement 
like you said, also movement in time, in space, trying to be aware of my of my of my location and of course of where I am, of my being, and um, constantly reworking, rethinking. Yeah, like you said, I love it really. Poetic phrases, poetic moments. I um I was reading uh, this morning um, from a, a book called Wintering by Catherine May, and in it she she talks about this notion of wintering, not really so much as uh, winter as the season, but really uh, the question of wintering as somewhat a way of thinking about rest as an exercise of reconstituting the self and of deep reflections as part of daily life. And I was really feeling like at this moment, right? I mean, on one hand, you have been capturing um, so much frenzy and so much of the momentum of of daily life, um, but also of the frenzy of certain kinds of um, social upheavals, of the tensions that are there, of the sweat that is on the pavement, of many kinds of momentum. And at this point, we are also facing a great amount of stillness and rest and withdrawal. And at the same time, of course, there's an excess of labor um, under very, very heavy conditions for a lot of people in the world, um, even more harsh and even more exploitative. And I really wonder as a photographer, as an image builder, how do you capture this very... Um, kind of paradoxical, but also quite extreme shift in pace and in momentum? Um, it starts actually with the term you, you started off with, wintering, because it's in, I always claim this, it's almost like a mantra for me, in relaxing, in being as open as possible, um, you begin to understand and take in the resonances and the the vibes around you, what you also said as also the frenzy. Yeah? So um, it's a going into the frenzy, going into the so-called chaos, into the buzz of especially big cities, and at the same time, really just relaxing, yeah? being as free and as open as possible. And um, I think this is very important. I do realize it's not very easy at times. And um, yesterday again, near the photo booth, there were four um, people sitting on the on the pavement selling, um, um, you know, um, what they call it in English, um, things like shoes, you know, secondhand shoes, old clothes, um, small el electronic um, um, devices. Huh? But they were sitting on the pavement. They were about maybe in their fifties, sixties, probably. I, they looked like from Eastern Europe. But this is really, really tough because the temperature was about one, two degrees Celsius, huh? and. Um, like they saw me standing around, and one of the a lady, one of them asked me, "What um, do I want to buy something?" I explained to her, and I'm just standing around. I'm just doing my own thing, and eventually they accepted me fully, no more problems, and I could even look at their what what they were selling. But at the same time, I'm concentrating on my photo booth, which was just to the side of them, and around me, people moving up and down. And so, but one thing which you are right at, about Natasha is like for. The last 10, 11 months now, the slowing down of, of, of the pace, especially here in the Western world, 
It's not so much so in, in, um, on the African continent. I'll come to that in a second. But um, there is a, a special vibe at the moment. It's like a constant, I call it, Sunday feel, especially like, say, here in Berlin, where, especially in the evenings and at night, the cities are really, really quiet, almost deserted, very, very little traffic, hardly any pedestrians, especially when it's very, very cold. And that's a special vibe, which I really like. And as soon as it gets a bit warmer, I'm going out with my tripod to try and take, make images of this desertedness. This, and again, this term, this wind, wintering. Um, interestingly, I was reading the other day about birding, which is also a, a kind of term where um, a few of us going to actually just go out and begin to really hear the birds. And the birds are always there in winter and, of course, much more in spring and summer. And they're telling us something. They're trying to sing for us, to us. Huh? But we've, especially in big cities, we've really lost contact with them. So I really like these kind of terms which try to, again, locate us within the bigger picture. And then um, to come back to um, the frenzy and the buzz, I've just recently um, been to Lagos. And then a, bit few, a few weeks later, I was in Ouagadougou in Burkina Faso. And there, there's much more of a, of a vibe because people really have to survive. So they go out. They go out to work. They go out to sell things on the street. Just like yesterday, these four people who were selling um, leftovers, so to speak, on the street now. But at home, also on the African continent, it's not leftovers. These are people trying to make a living, trying to survive. Because most times, the governments cannot actually support them, even during um, COVID. Huh? So if you wear masks, try to keep some kind of semblance of distance, but it's very, very difficult. So in both cases, um, here in Europe or on the African continent or where, wherever else I travel, I try to be as um, open and, and as aware as possible of what is happening in my environment. Um, I also feel that in a lot of your work, there is a a sort of gauging of the publicness of public life in the sense that the way that you anchor yourself in a place and as you said you have a have a certain way of entering the field of observation so that it's not observation as an act but it's really creating a field of observation around you so that there's a lot of subtlety that is being witnessed, you know, that is somehow drawing itself also toward you and toward what is the camera object. So I call especially your camera a camera object because it is the twin lens reflex or reflex camera, which is, as we've said, you know, it's not something, it's not like taking camera, uh, using your camera phone, there is there is a weight to it, and um, previously I think you um, and also Bonaventure you you'll have also thought about the weight of the camera and what it does to the body and what it does to uh, to one's own pace, um, one's bodily relation to other bodies, and so at this moment of such immense alienation, you no, know, I. I wonder what you feel about how bodies compose space and how space recomposes bodies at a time like this. The camera um, is of 
in and of itself a kind of um, barrier almost to, to my, my immediate neighbor. So I'm aware of this, and as you very well pointed out, um, the, the camera has a certain weight. It's not very heavy, really. But, and so people see me, see the camera, and immediately know that this is somebody who is walking around with the camera in his hand and possibly taking, making images. But then um, everywhere, wherever I go, with time, people forget about the camera, but are somehow still aware of me. Not, of course, everybody, but usually. Yeah? And then um, it becomes a kind of dance because sometimes I'm trying to take, make a particular image, maybe with their back to me, they're, they're doing something, and um, sometimes they become aware of me, move away. This happened yesterday, by the way. Other times, they, they, become, they are aware of me, but stay what they're, whatever they're doing. And then maybe I can take, make the image. I deliberately say the two words take or make, as opposed to I don't like the word to shoot, which is very militaristic and I think very sort of, um, it's very destructive, actually. So I much prefer this um, taking, making. And then being aware of my surroundings, of my fellow human passage, passengers, so to speak, and um, be, also being very respectful. So being respectful, I believe, also means being quiet. I try not to be loud. I, not, I don't direct people. I don't, try to, I don't say anything. I'm just very, very quiet. So even yesterday, when the, um, one of the ladies sitting on the ground, the very cold ground, by the way, asked me if I wanted to buy something. I said, no, I'm just standing here, you know, just... And then she, she eventually, they, they understand, they get it. And this is what I often find, that my surroundings look and begin to understand what I too am about, huh? that I also am meandering, wandering with the camera to hand and just moving through spaces. Huh? You are right, though, um, Natasha, <coughs> excuse me, um, that... Um, there's a big difference between um, taking, making an image with these analog, so um, from the middle of the last century cameras to today with the uh, mobile phone. So even yesterday, some people also stopped to take or make an image, but it's much more, um, almost, like, almost like a reflex, huh? and they hold the ha their hand up and try to take or make the image, whereas I, in some ways, am a bit more deliberate, I'm much more... Um, Again, the word quiet, trying to, it's almost like a kind of composition, composing the this, this spatial and um, time around me. And then also, one something I really like to stress, it's very fragmentary. So each image is just a fragment of a particular moment. So I'm working consciously with sequences, sometimes already, images already done in days before, weeks before, months before, but also in the moment, in, 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 in and of itself. Um, I, now that you've mentioned um, dance, in a sense, and dance in space, dance with the camera object um, around bodies, I wonder about um, the diagonal, the, the diagonal in your pictures. And um, Vasif has also raised this observation in even in just uh, his his recent experience of your work and the way that um, Emeka uh, Okereke has uh, made the film on around your work, and so if we think about the the diagonal 
and the way that it i would say it somehow alters the hierarchy of built and social architecture into a kind of a fluid terrain that seeks connectivity that seeks refuge um it it breaks that you know even the the kind of the idea of the cross in a sense and the cross has so many implications right the cross has the sacred implication the cross is also the field of navigation the compass the focus and so in a sense when you go to the diagonal there is a sense of a twist a release and an effort to um to 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 change the current in a sense and i i find that aspect of um a kind of energetic mobilization uh very important in your work and also in the way that you know we've addressed this before when we install your photographs um what kinds of relationalities are built that do not follow the vertical or horizontal and even in the grid there is that sense of flow that is built up uh, a kind of a river aspect you know in terms of reading uh, reading images uh, through this kind of cross section so if you'd like to comment on that so um i'm coming very much from a um i like your term also very much my di- diagonal or um very fragmentary approach to the linear so i'd really try to um break up the narrative so obviously there is a beginning once upon a time or on this particular day or at this particular moment i set out huh? but immediately i also bring in the past or try to the present and also try to say something about the future and being aware of this is a kind again of like a dance which is not necessarily harmonious in the in the way many people like to think of harmony but is re- literally fragmented break broken up or all kinds of disjointed music um um movements but the, in the disjointedness there is a certain type of harmony so even within these diagonals or in this fragmentary way of telling the the narrative there is some kind of sequence which um we or, or, or us the the artists as the composers are constantly trying to to bear in mind so that's why in the title the taut air is very much about this very tightness or taut mo- um um tension in the air which if you want to you you can begin to intuit feel and then you try to play with it so i mean one particular form of music i really like is free jazz because there the musicians are just playing as as they intuit as as it comes to them so me i too wandering meandering just taking these things as they come as they happen so and i find in doing that serendipity happenstance plays a big part because um i try not to fix my my meandering or my wanderings or i try to be as open as possible and i you begin to sense see some of the threads which are constantly weaving all around us huh? and they are usually um invisible we don't see them but you can begin to intuit them feel them so then and these threads they have their own passage their own passage way in a particular direction but they're very spontaneous they can take in other threads at a certain moment they can interweave they can go back and forth so this is the kind of things this is a wonderful again dance engagement um being as 
aware and as open as possible. Very, very important. At the same time, you have to see your own limitations. So how far can I see? Where, um, where is my tolerance um, border or um, my periphery? Can I see beyond the periphery? I would claim yes, but you have to then train, um, you know, exercise for this, so to speak. That's why I really stress it's an everyday thing. I try to go out as much every day. And um, even when I leave um, the apartment, I have no um, particular goal in mind. Sometimes, of course, I do. Like yesterday, I was going to the photo booth. But still, other things come, come happen, come into being. Huh? So I want to give you a, a small anecdote. Looking out the window this morning, I saw a man I've been watching for some time now. And he um, collects the um, small pieces of rubbish. He has a kind of barrow, a broom. And he's um, 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 dressed in orange, the uniform of the um, uh, rubbish collectors here in Berlin. And he's doing this work. So I was thinking, actually, this is something which is also one of my themes of late. I'll try to get to know him and maybe go with him, walk with him for half a day. Because what we throw away is a kind of offering. And we don't think of it like this, but we just throw, you know, pieces of paper, cigarette butts, you know, just, or even now, of course, even masks, huh? the face masks. And so he's going around picking all these things up. Huh? And so in some ways, he's a kind of priest. I don't think he will see, see himself like that. He's just earning his living. He's earning his money. But this is of give and take of, again, a kind of dance, huh? And what is, I found very interesting, because his barrow is it's quite a sort of modern, functional barrow, and he just lets it move on <laughs> by itself, and he's going around picking up. And the barrow is moving very slowly, very, very slowly, but moving away from him, and he catches up again and moves on. So these are the kind of, again, the kind of dance, um, spontaneous, fragmentary, free. I love this. Huh? Um. I would like to come to certain um, specific series, especially also the uh, African Quarter. And at the same time, um, think through what Sylvia Winter calls the substance of race. So in that sense, it is not about the binary um, as such of race, but the substance of race. Um, and how you have captured this in several cities in very different ways, uh, whether that is Johannesburg or Chicago or Berlin. And I would really love for you to reflect on that and maybe talk about those specific series and those experiences in the cities that you have been in this regard. So um, I love this term, the substance of race, because there is a lot of depth in that. Huh? And um, I often think of also the word itself, race, which implies, you know, the different races, the different um, uh, groups which we human beings are born into or how we um, socialize, how we see each other. But also the, the other meaning of race, you know, competition. <laughs> I find it very strange at times. And um, the term African quarter... I'm not sure exactly where it originated, but probably on the African continent, eh? in the colonial times, where the colonial um, um, master races, again the word race, felt they had to separate themselves, or not just felt, it was a policy, to separate themselves from the indigenes. Eh? And they put the indigenes in the so-called African quarters. Eh? 
And the African quarters then were often, uh, I mean, like, you know, they, they have very poor infrastructure, sometimes no water, no, no um, energy, source of energy, and people living in very terrible conditions. And then, of course, the, um, the colonial masses were living in a, some, almost some kind of park-like paradise. So now in Berlin, there was a quarter which was supposed to be, um, at the end of the 19th century, was brought up by um, a circus um, magnate, and he wanted to start a zoo here, just, just in Berlin, but it was outside the then um, area of, of Berlin City at that time. He wanted to start a zoo with, um, unfortunately, I mean, it's a really crazy idea, with human um, people in the cages. Huh? And, and these human people would have come um, from the, um, so, the, the colonial, um, uh, what do you call it, countries which, which they had um, colonized. Huh? So for Africa, parts of Southeast Asia and other parts of the world. Fortunately, this um, did not take place. And shortly thereafter, this particular piece of land was bought up by the um, local government then, and became a residential area slowly. But they still um, kept the names of the African streets, of, of the African colonies then. So now, um, when I moved to Berlin in the early 90s, I, did, I knew already about this African quarter, so I went there to see what it was like. It's a residential area. At that time, we yeah, very quiet, um, peaceful streets, huh? but all with African names like Congo Street, Cameroon Street, Guinea Street, places like this, but other names as well. And um, so I started photographing there then. Um, at that time, aware that on the continent we also have African quarters. Huh? So very strange. Uh, so sometimes now when I show these images, I show them together with images from the African quarters on the continent. And um, it's, it's a constant um, process. Um, I keep on returning there. And you, you can see how things have changed. There's much more awareness now of the colonial past, also here in Germany. And also the uh, many crimes and um, uh, inhuman things which were done. And three names of, in particular of some of the streets that really try to change them. It's in the process now of really changing them. So this is very, very positive. But as you said, and you really pointed out, is there is still a very endemic and almost internalized racist um, attitude towards the other, towards the, especially the exotic other, so especially black people, people of color. And it's so, sometimes so frustrating and so annoying. Huh? So many people, even those who think they're progressive, they say, no, no, I'm not, I don't think like this, I don't do this, but then it comes up again. Huh? And it gets very, very frustrating. Um, what I always do is I keep on going, you know, in these different areas here in, in Europe, but also on, on the continent, and just wonder. And um, I do notice subtle differences at times, more acceptance. There was a case, I think, about 14, 15 years ago, when there was the World uh, Football Cup happening here in Germany. And whenever an African team was playing in one of the stadiums, not necessarily here in Berlin, but somewhere in, in, within Germany, people would greet me with more um, <laughs> acceptance. I don't know what it was. Huh? Even and sometimes on those days, because some of the teams playing at that time here in Germany came, so, um, came from the um, street names. Huh? So Ghana was playing, I believe. Cameroon was playing. And uh, Togo. Togo was playing too. So it was really, really, really strange. Huh? 
So people will be smiling, and you will see flags sometimes from these countries. And also what I saw for the first time was some German fans wearing African um, um, sports sh um, football shirts of African players. All well and good. Huh? But what's happening inside? That's what, um, again, you can... Maybe that's the substance. Huh? You can begin to see that if you really want to look. Huh? So many people say they have changed so outwardly, but within themselves, the, the change has not really fully taken place. So, and then again, this you know, is what I'm really trying to um, photograph, to, to make, take images of. Sometimes very, very, almost very subtle. You, you, can, you have to look and look and look again before you begin to really understand the depth of this, of this substance. So, so it's a good term of, of Sylvia Winters. It's, it's, really, it's, it's not just the binary. I agree fully on that. It's much, much deeper. And we really have to overcome this. I mean, it's sometimes so, so annoying. Do you want to mention um, examples from your series, Adama and Wonderland, from Johannesburg, or also the recent work you did for the Chicago Architecture Triennale? Yeah, um, Adama and Wonderland, in Wonderland in Johannesburg is, is um, I'm still working on that. I'm possibly, I got some good news yesterday. Maybe I could possibly go back in, towards the end of the year to Johannesburg to continue on the work. Johannesburg, and then of course many cities in the United, in fact, all over the United States. These are really, and it's, I mean, it's, it's a tough term. Something's tough to say. These are very segregated cities. And the segregation is, is literally on the skin color. It's, it's just, I mean, sometimes you can't believe it. Huh? So even I myself, I can walk into a certain area of Chicago or in Johannesburg as well. Immediately people are much, hey, what's happening? What's this, this, this black man? What's he coming to this area? What's he carrying in his hand? This kind of thing. Um, I try to be, I still, I, I try to be as relaxed as possible. I'm aware of the way people are looking and um, seeing me, but I just move through as quietly and as easily as possible. It's the same me everywhere. So I don't try to change. I don't try to... There's a word I, I heard the other day, ship, ship shaping, of shift, shift shaping. I, do, I don't try to do that. I try to be myself. I'm aware, black, you know, an African, a black person, and I just move quietly through. Huh? Um, Chicago was really tough because I was working on the west side. It's called North Lawndale, and it's an African-American neighborhood or neighborhoods, actually, and really, really segregated. So very, very painful. I was doing some workshops with young teenagers and young people, and some of the things they were telling, you know, some of their, um, their experiences was just totally harrowing. Similar um, experiences you hear also in Johannesburg. So it, it's, it's, again, it's much, much deeper than if it's just simply um, this thing like saying Black Lives Matter or... You know, racism is bad. No, it's it's much much deeper. It's something which is an ongoing um, struggle for many many peoples all over the world. So such that um, I engage with it too, but in my own terms. So doing the masterclass or the workshops, but also photographically as well. And I will say there are people of all kinds of um, skin colors fighting against it, struggling against it, and doing some beautiful work against these kind of things. So there is hope. But at the same time, as we've seen recently in the States again, sometimes a pushback, which can be so negative and disheartening. Huh? Yeah, so 
it's an ongoing work, an ongoing process, and hopefully, yeah, again, <laughs> things will improve. I'd like to come to your archive and your library, which is behind you as well. Um, if you could talk a little bit about how you organize your work of so many decades, um, because it's quite rare in my um, perception for a photographer to have this depth of um, series that move in parallel over decades. So it requires a lot of meticulous effort um, to convey um, that and to continue to thread together that seriality. So to give um, the listeners an idea, the fact that All Roads Lagos is a series that began um, decades ago, you know, already in the in the eighties, no Bode, or and yeah, it's 80s, still yeah. continuing. And but there are also series that we showed which already started in the seventies. I mean, they also mark your time in Germany, but at the same time, um, they also mark you going towards various kinds of terrains, whether they're cities or whether they're the seashore with Sea Never Dry, again, a series that continues from the 80s onwards. So if you could share perhaps even just pragmatic uh, ways in which you make sense of your archive and maintain your archive as such. So Natasha, um, one thing I always say is that every day, every new day is really a new day. So um, the way I um, treat my archive, my archive, I deal with it, is to be as chronological as possible. This goes very much against what I was saying about free jazz. <laughs> so I literally, I number the films I have um, taken, one to whatever it is in that year. So like this year now, I've started with film number one, um, 2021, and I number it 121. So actually right now, today I started with six, so 621, my sixth film this, this month in January, because it's quite cold. So my images are very, very few. In the warmer um, times of the year, I take a lot of images then. And then um, organization, order. So I have my, I put my films when they're developed. I develop them myself, the black and white especially. I put them into um, film um, negative files and put them and then into other bigger files and store them away. In fact, I'm changing my system now, putting all my film negatives into boxes, archival boxes, and storing them here. And in fact, I'm going to order very soon some new um, cupboards to put them all away safely. Yeah? So then I have this kind of, as you said, very pragmatic, ordered way of working. You have to do it, I, I believe, as um, neatly and as um, in your own personal way as possible. Some people um, um, archive their works according to theme. I try to do it much more um, chronologically, one and so on. And then, um, yeah, on the different series... I'm constantly, I just, not just one series, I work at, at a time, but many different series. Huh? Like I mentioned also now with the um, refuse, huh? the refuse collectors, refuse, things we throw away, and also things which we throw away, give away as a kind of offering. Huh? But now, because we, um, many peoples are not, no longer religious, they don't really realize what the offering is for, what they're doing. Okay, so all these things are constantly working on, uh, but... Um, when I make the images, this can be on one particular film, um, 
different um, series in, on that particular film. So then I have my contact sheets. They too have to be all, all, um, ordered, put together. So all these things are, I'm more or less constantly working on. And it, yeah, it's an ongoing process. <laughs> Just um, the other day I was thinking sometimes, because also I read a lot as well, or try to read a lot as well, and some books which you've read, then you just put them in, like you see the, the shelf behind me, and I hardly ever look at them again. Huh? So I'm just thinking to myself now, what, do I, what am I going to do with these books? I mean, I do realize, you, I mean, you, I can't take with them with me to the grave. So I'm already thinking of where they were going to go, to maybe to a, a collective or a, especially um, an institution on the African continent or maybe somewhere else in the world. That, that, that's for sure. But at the same time, right now, what do I do with all this mass of books? Huh? But again, sometimes then, like you were talking about Sylvia, um, Sylvia Winter with the substance of, of, of racism, then, then you, I read some other things, so then you have to return to these books. So I still try to have a kind of library to look at things. And then it's just, yeah, it, it's always this constant, in my case, to order to be pragmatic about how you, the archive uh, functions. And also, very, very important, is not, not to lose an idea of where things are. So even uh, with the prints as well, or like from the um, exhibition or from last year, so I got all the, most of the images back, and some, they've traveled again, but others now are here with me, so I put them away, archive, archive them away, but make sure that I remember where they are. That's very, very important. So things like this. So um, you do need space. You do need a kind of order, and you have to be, or in my case again, you have to be very focused about what you're doing, where you want to go, and what it's all about. So like again, this passageways. So it's the passageways going out, and passageways within your studio space, apartment space. And um, coming to the role of contact sheets, which is something that I personally find quite fascinating and I've also discussed the role of contact sheets um, in the practice of Dayaneta saying just in conversation with her. And I feel in, in, in your case, um, it really feels that the contact sheet is a way of detecting rhythm in, in the photographic uh, practice. And in a sense, listening not only to the photograph, but also tracing movement that is generated by the photographer. So there's listening, there's movement, um, there's a kind of rhythm structure that becomes evident in the contact sheet, right? Because in, in a way, it's, um, it also feels that your decisions toward repetition or proximity uh, or, you know, the, the directionality also in terms of the, the, the way you might capture different angles uh, of the same, of the same scene, um, I think I find those aspects really important to study, and I'm not sure if there's enough study of photographers' contact sheets, but it's something, yeah, that I feel quite committed to. Uh, me, me too, very much. There, there have been a few books on contact sheets in the '80s. I have two of them here. And um, I think it's very, very important. Uh, contact sheets are almost like the score sheet. I like to what you said about the movement, the listening in. And you, you can begin to, when you look at your contact sheets, especially from, let's say, 
yesterday, I mean, I didn't take many images yesterday, but a, a usual day, maybe I'll take two or three um, 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 films, develop them, um, then make the contact sheets. Um, 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 one film is 12 images, so three films, that'd be 36 images. Then that's three contact sheets. I put them out on the table, and then I can begin to see my movement and also my relationship with the environment which I was working through. And then some things which happened almost serendipitously, you know, happenstance, or with a kind of rhythm. I love that word, which you also mentioned, where you notice that, and this is my experience, that um, oftentimes things happen twice, or even thrice, or even four times, with a reason. We often don't understand these reasons, only later. But over the years, I begin to understand these things even more deeper. So again, I mentioned yesterday, the four people, three of them especially, were sitting on the street. I've seen them there before. But um, I, sometimes I see, I've, I've been there before. I don't, I don't see them, but I see their, um, their wares out for sale huh? on, the, on the road. Huh? By the way, it's illegal. Huh? <laughs> and then now, I saw them there yesterday again. It was really cold. Huh? And they're sitting down on the ground, huh? covered with blankets a bit. And things begin to happen. Things begin to happen. I actually looked at their wares. Some of them are quite interesting because I don't do this, but some um, photographers, some artists collect these kind of things and do installations with them, re-photograph them, all kinds of stuff. Huh? I don't do, the, do this so much. But this is the kind of thing. And then you, when you look at your contact sheets the next day or a few days later, you begin to see your own, your own pathways passageways, but also later on, maybe half a year later, wow, then you see sometimes within a particular contact sheet, something which you didn't actually see initially. So I always say when I'm um, doing masterclasses or workshops with younger colleagues, don't delete your images because nowadays a lot is done digitally. So they have the, literally their contact sheets or their images on their on their, um, what do you call it, hard drives or something, please don't delete them because it's often the images which we think are not really, um, don't say much, that say a lot. And the images we think, oh, that's where I got it, they don't, they don't really say very much. And it's this um, saying not so much, saying a lot, which we should listen into. So I really am into this, that you, 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 you do see the, the outside world, you do see images, you, you do perceive your your environment. At the same time, we are constantly listening in. Huh? So it's very, very important. So again, the, con the contact sheets are a form of the score, the score sheet, scorecard. At the same time, they're like a map. Or they show you, the, the artist, the photographer, the way you, you've, you, you've, you've gone, you've been going through, and where it can possibly lead to. So I think it's so important to look at your contact sheet, to look at your images, and then put them up in, on your space, and they begin to tell you where to go. Um, I have a last um, question for you, Bode, um, and also uh, sharing. I was reading um, an essay by uh, Ramon Amaro and Murad Khan in, recently, in which they recall the words of Amy Cesaire, arguing for the search for a humanism made to the measure of the world. And I really found this, um, you know, simple but profound. 
um, of what it means to search for a humanism made to the measure of the world. Um, because I feel in many ways that the way you trace um, journeys between the hemispheres um, really also um, catching uh, the essence or the substance of, of a place, um, of an encounter. Um, there's a kind of qualitative and um, descriptive quality to the images that, to me, intrinsically speaks to that kind of um, humanism, you know, and also all of the, 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 the kind of deep flaws that we have in us, in, in the human uh, spirit, in a sense. Um, I feel that your work strongly uh, lays focus uh, on that aspect, really. Um, the worldly character, you know, at a time of great parochialism, at a time of um, strange uh, degrees of uh, nationalism um, in a way that is also such a militant strategy to separate and divide people. Um, I find that, that really this question of uh, what a humanism made to the measure of the world can be through the photographer's eye is something um, that we might be able to trace um, in your work. Uh, and I wanted you to, in that in that way also perhaps, you know, comment on this um, in conclusion, but also the fact that so much of your role, especially in recent years, uh, more and more is that of a mentor. Um, and you're, you're surrounded by um, photographers of all generations, really, who hold you up as a mentor. And um, there seems to be a very gentle yet precise way in which you guide um, and perhaps reinforce certain principles. And so I wonder if there's something you would like to share from this. Um, very touching, Natasha. Um, Amos is there. Um, is for me somebody I, I really um, appreciate, respect. And um, in your, um, what you just, your question now and your, your um, speech, not speech, but what you just said, um, it, it, it makes me think that um, I was born just after the Second World War. And my parents, who brought us up, um, lived at a time of hope. No more war, so to speak. So uh, there was a kind of um, expectation. It won't happen again. And then also, um, my parents uh, were actually at the time, I was born in, um, in England, were students from the colony in Nigeria. And they were supposed to go, and they did, they're supposed to go back to take over from the colonizers, huh? which um, my, especially my, my father did. Huh? So there was this hope. And over the years, I realized more and more, that's what is actually really, have really sort of internalized and is deeply embedded in me. So again, also, um, not looking at other peoples as less or, you know, another class as less. No, We're all, it's one, all of us together moving forward, hopefully in a very harmonious, beautiful manner. Over the decades, it's been the, almost the, the co complete opposite. Huh? Terrible wars, ter even, I mean, horrible. So then finding this, this measure of, of humanity, as you as you as you quoted, and trying to um, 
equilibrium is another word I love, huh? a sense of balance, um, and which way forward. Huh? Um, you mentioned something that um, I'm a mentor. I don't really like the term so much because I was telling Wasif just now, just before we started, that um, it's much more all of us together and we learn from each other. I think so the conversation, the dialogue is very, very important. And I also claim there's nobody who can come to the table who hasn't got something to, to give, to say. Nobody. Huh? But this is sometimes prob problematic if that person is a, you know, is a molester or a criminal or whatever it is, huh? but we still have to listen. This is my, my claim. And then, wow, it's a constant give and take. So it's a constant dance, and no one person has all the answers. Huh? I think this is very important. Um, in October, November, you probably heard about the demonstrations in Lagos um, against the um, police brutality which were unfortunately then crushed very, very um, um, badly by the army. And Wale Shoinka gave a, um, a talk shortly thereafter. Um, I was there in Lagos at the time, we went to listen to him. He spoke very well. And some of the young demonstrators who hadn't, they weren't involved in the, um, afterwards there was some kind of terrible push, um, um, what, what they call hooliganism and people burning things down and so on. They weren't involved in this. Huh? But they came and asked some very pertinent questions. And he, of an older generation, actually of my parents, uh, uh, almost the generation of my parents, huh, gave some very, very um, insightful answers. Huh? And is again what you were talking about, this bringing us together. Let us move forward together, not fighting each other, not trying to tear each other down, but, you know, in a... So, some kind of form of, of government, of governance, of humanity, where we move forward together. So this was very, very, I, I felt a very important moment. And others are doing this all over the continent. I mean, even today, I was just before um, we, we started talking, I heard about the, um, the, farm, the farmers in India now also, you know, really demonstrating that they push through the barriers and so on. Huh? And their, um, their grievances are really, really, you know, I mean, Deep, deeply felt, huh? these are the kind of things. Huh? So, again, how do we move forward? And um, there's always the, um, the other, so-called the other side. <laughs> this is this binary thing again. The other side coming with their own um, agendas, huh? their own ways of trying to do things. So, but, I mean, yeah, it's, we have this, just this one planet, huh? this, this one Earth. Huh? Let us try to really be... Um, live together in a harmonious way. I mean, it sounds a bit, <laughs> this term lovey-dovey, I don't mean it like that. I'm being really serious about this. Thank you very much, Natasha. It's been good talking to you. Thank you.